goodness. Are you kidding me? LeBron James wins it for Cleveland! The Milwaukee Bucks are NBA champions once again. and welcome to this new episode of the NBA Breakdown powered by Pinnacle Joe Varden of the Athletic Stats Bomb Director Seth Part now back with me James Gregg here for a regular check-in to talk all things NBA there's only one place to start I think and Joe Varden um, you have been a very very busy man you've been on the LeBron trail for a few weeks it's taken you to all far flung corners of your brilliant country talk to me <laughs> talk to me about um, this journey that you've been on and this incredible record that's been broken at, at, long, at long last yeah so I was the plan all along was to link up with LeBron and the Lakers in the final days before he passed Kareem Abdul-Jabbar as the NBA's all-time leading scorer and we had um, a ballpark idea of when that might be and had made some travel plans to, to accommodate that and then in January you know he turns he turns 38 on December 30th and then he goes on for somebody his age an unprecedented scoring streak we'd never seen anything like it before and he moved the potential Potential timeline for passing Kareem up by several days to the point where there was at least a chance that it would happen sometime on this five game road trip that the Lakers were were on. So I was already supposed to be in New York reporting a uh, Kareem story of all people. And so the, the bosses, the powers that be at the athletic decided that when the Lakers came through New York, I should just latch on then and not go home until he passes the record. So it was an incredible two weeks in which I spent the entire time with the Los Angeles Lakers and the Brooklyn Nets, uh, the two teams that totally shook up the league, two of the three teams that totally shook up the league at the trade deadline. And the assignment was just to take LeBron's temperature and the temperature of the Lakers and just tell the reader what it was like to be around this guy as he's about to, about to break history. And I've known him for years. Um, covering him in Cleveland is is why I'm where I am where I am now. And so my access was going to be pretty good and uh, was able to, to get close, uh, you know, in the locker room and get a chance to talk to him. Um, but it was more it, like the, the overall takeaway was that this was something that was gradually beginning to weigh on him and gradually having an effect on the team. Whereas like a, a single season home run race like the one here in 1961 or the one in 1997 where there is just you know unprecedented pressure on everybody involved every day this wasn't like that this was a slow build that only became uh really i i think a motivating and uh impacting factor over the last couple of days and when you finally got down to the day that he did it in los angeles he showed up to the arena dressed as though he was going to pass kareem he had every intent on doing it um the, the rest of the lakers didn't know how to play that night and it uh it led to some very awkward uh, basketball with uh, some tempers flaring and and in the end lebron hit the shot to to pass kareem right in front of me and the game stopped and, um, you know, he celebrated on the court. And then again, after the game with virtually no Lakers at all, it was all his family and everybody from Akron, which is where I'm from. Um, so another weird night when it comes to LeBron and passing uh, an all time great. But uh, still, it was, it was a, a great, great assignment. And I was I was happy to be there. Fantastic. And, you know, if, for those of you who are listening to this podcast and you've not seen any of Joe's pieces on this, highly recommended, highly recommended documenting, you know, some of the 
well, one of the one of the greatest achievements ever in sport. Um, you've you've got to say, and actually, from a broadcasting perspective, I thought that that commentary was fantastic as well. A shot at history, brilliant. That's going to be on plenty plenty of canvases on people's bedroom walls. I think um, over the coming years, excellent. Just on on LeBron and and Seth, this is where you know it, it, I can bring you in here on this because we could talk we could talk for the rest of this podcast. We could do a whole another one tomorrow and the day after, all about LeBron, but. In terms of what our listeners are looking for, I mean, this this streak that he's been on, like Joe said, you know, unprecedented streak for somebody his age. And, you know, they, they've also shaken up that transfer, you know, the, the window as well, you know, with, with the trades, et cetera. This is, this is kind of what the Lakers needed, right? They needed some kind of excitement like this. I think, yes. Um, it's, it's yeah, I mean, as as Joe said, it was the, the, the sort of the weirdness of, Passing, passing the 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 all-time scoring leader, and then trading Russell Westbrook, and now LeBron is injured, and and the, the team is still kind of even having made some trades at the deadline, which made them better, but probably still not a championship contender. It's still just a very odd kind of, as with really every nearly every part of of the LeBron experience in Los Angeles, it's just been a little bit surreal almost. Like this is that we're almost operating in, in there's there, there's the LeBron sphere and then there's the Lakers sphere and they kind of overlap a little bit, but it's still just kind of two different things. Yeah. And it's, yeah, I mean, what's it done for his legacy, Joe, this, this thing, because th- these things, they don't, they don't go away. You know, that's it. It's there forever now. Right. Well, I, I will answer that. And I thought about that this morning, but I wanted to, to continue with something that Seth said about okay. just how this whole Lakers experience has been weird or, or strange or just that there's all these, you know, when I think about LeBron and passing all these guys on the all-time scoring list, when he passed Michael for fourth, that happened his first year in LA. And it was like the only player that cared at all was Alex Caruso who at the time had just come up from the G league. He was a nobody. Uh, the Lakers were basically dead in the water and, and, and LeBron, he gets this bucket and he passes, he passes Michael and, and Alex Caruso of all people is running up to him and nobody else knew what to do. And, and the Laker fans weren't really in on LeBron yet. And it was just this weird reaction inside of, of then Staples center. So then, you know, things settle down a little bit and uh, the Lakers are in first place the next year. And uh, and he passes Kobe in Philadelphia, and I was there for that too. And uh, and the next day, Kobe dies, and and it's like like he was just talking to to, to uh, Kobe on the phone the night before, like after he after he passed him, and everybody was in such a good mood. And then and then obviously that turned American culture on its ear <laughs> for for quite a while when that happened. Um, and so it's just it it has it's been this strange thing. Like they win, but it's in the bubble and then everything else that happens, you know, they, I mean, they, a lot of years they stink, like they, they're bad this year, you know, they're trying to just make the play in. So it's, it's hard, it's hard to figure out what to say definitively about that Laker turn. Just quickly. I, I feel like LeBron has had the best career in NBA history. I, I don't know what to tell you about who's the best player ever. And that, that's not what this podcast is about, but I just think, the accomplishments are just starting to, to, to stockpile. I mean, when he's done, he's going to be the all-time leader in points and number two in assists. Uh, four titles at least 
eight straight finals with two different teams. It, he's going to make at least 20 all-star games, probably more. So I, I don't know what we're talking about here when 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 you say who's had the better career. But but I guess that's not really the argument either. It's who's the best player. But I just LeBron's resume is is unimpeachable. It is no, I mean there's there's no dispute in that from from my side of the Atlantic. Um, but it's good to get your side of it. I and mean, you have obviously followed LeBron and and this whole weird thing that actually a lot of people don't really understand that the, the, that whole weird thing on the outlook. They see this amazing sort of global sports franchise. Um, Seth. It's an interesting, I think there's there's probably three players we could talk about um, in terms of, of who is the best. And I think it's it's LeBron, Michael Jordan, and, and Kareem. I think that's 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 kind of the short list. And I'm just thinking about it. And in some ways, he most often gets compared to to MJ because there's more, I think there's probably there's more stylistic comparisons. I think there's some really interesting comparisons to Kareem in that Michael Jordan was a was a you know, an, a highly, uh, highly thought of prospect, but no one really knew or, or it, it, like him being as, as good as he was, was a, was a surprise. Um, LeBron was perhaps the most hyped like prospect coming through high school, possibly since Lou Alcindor. And certainly among the, the people who've had that kind of hype and delivered like beyond the max. I think that's a, that, that among anything else and, you know, have done it in the spotlight um, for an extended period of time. I think that's a very interesting parallel as well. Yeah, certainly. Like we said, we could do this over and over and over again and have this, cause this is, this is what I'm about. Um, <laughs> and just, just going to move things on. Cause we, We'll we'll draw a line under it. We're going to have to be disciplined here. We're going to have to be disciplined. Um, you can see that we're all itching to kind of keep this going, but we can't. We can't. We've got we've got stuff to cover. Our last episode was in November, guys. Um, there's been a lot that has kind of changed in terms of trends, and then obviously we've had the trade deadline, which came and went. Um, I want to get your thoughts. I mean, it's pretty obvious for people who've obviously been following the league, but you mentioned three teams, Joe, that made a tremendous splash in that trade deadline. Um, and I suppose I want to just kind of want you to analyze that and how it's altered the face of the NBA, uh, certainly for the rest of this season. So um, Joe, I know that you're itching to go on this, uh, but I'll start with you, Seth. We're going to have to get some perspective on uh, time on, on the whole Brooklyn Starling team thing. I just find it's really interesting that, they are from the standpoint of right before they signed Durant and or traded for Durant and signed signed Kyrie Irving. Uh, there's there are a lot in many ways kind of back where they started with a a gritty hard playing lots of good defensive role player types team. Um, maybe they have a little bit of like difference in, in draft capital, but they're they're almost right back where they started, and now they're they're. Uh, kind of scrappy underdogs get, which is a, just a, a weird one eighty. Um, and then, and then, um, the the risks taken, you know, that are higher than you would think for acquiring players of that calendar, a uh, caliber, by both Dallas and Phoenix. Um, I think one risk is probably a better bet than the other, and we'll probably talk about that. But both of them made pretty, you know bold moves to try to increase their championship equity. And I think both both accomplished it. I just, I worry more about the cost for Dallas than for Phoenix. Okay. Okay. 
Um, Joe, give us your assessment on this. Well, I think for our listeners, I, I think Brooklyn will probably still make the playoffs. Um, I like that team. I I don't like them to win. So so don't don't get that twisted. But but to Seth's point, I agree. They are like that team from 2017, 18. A lot of young, hungry, really solid players. Um, you know, they have one guy who used to be a star in Ben Simmons. I don't think we can count him as one anymore. But otherwise, they they have a bunch of guys who fit roles really, uh, really well. You know, they'll have to find some continuity. They'll have to figure out who shoots at the end um, or, or when you need a, a bucket at the end of a shot clock, that kind of thing. But but I I like them and I like Jacques Vaughn. Um, like I said, the first week on the road, I, I was I think I saw the Nets play like four times. People were raving about the the how good of behavior Kyrie was on. Um, I, I saw Kevin Durant. I talked to him for the one of my LeBron pieces. He seemed to be uh, good. Everybody seemed to like Jacques. So you knew that something was going on with Kyrie's contract. Um, but but still, it, you know, when you heard about the trade demand, it was kind of a shaking of the head. Like, well, I, I mean, I guess he wasn't going to stay on the level uh, for, <laughs> for for too much longer. Um, I, I feel like the Suns, we have to consider them now to be a favorite. Um, I just think that that when you add a Kevin Durant at full strength to a Devin Booker, uh, Chris Paul, uh, and then they didn't have to give up DeAndre Ayton. Um, the huge caveat is that Durant and Chris Paul are perennial injury guys, <laughs> and especially Chris in the playoffs. So, so it, when you're trying to make a decision about what to do there, uh, you, you have to think about that. You have to, you have to ask yourself, how long is Chris Paul going to make it through this postseason? If he makes it the whole way, uh, it, this is, it, this is hard. Um, I don't, I, I don't like the Mavericks as much um, just because I don't think they're very deep. I think that, that now they've got an unbelievable two man game with those two. You know, they scored 128 points the other night and lost. Um, so they're going to give up a ton of points. And then, you know, the Lakers, this in a way, it reminds me of LeBron's last year in Cleveland in 2018. They they stunk. I mean, but 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 stunk is relative. Like at the time they were like in fifth in the East, like they were going to make the playoffs probably, but things were trending in the wrong direction. And so the general manager here just traded half the roster. Goodbye. And and the new guys they brought in gelled enough. LeBron was happy enough, and he carried that team to the finals. This Laker team is in 13th place. Um, they traded Russ. They traded almost half the roster. They got a whole new group in there. These guys should be better, but they're in 13th. I mean, they need to jump, what, Seth, two other teams at least, unless they're tied for something, uh, just to get into the play-in. So I, I don't know if this is enough to save them, um, but but I think it does reset the reset their roster going forward, which which is good. The remarkable thing, and I know that listeners, you, you will have the odds up and all that kind of thing up on Pinnacle.com. They are all there and all are correct, of course, at the time of recording. But LA Lakers are at 45, which I think is remarkably short considering they are, as Joe rightly points out, scrapping away to make the play-ins. Um, so that is remarkably short odds. Then again, you just never know. You never know in this sport, do you? The Boston Celtics at four and a half, Phoenix Suns at 5.9 with us on Pinnacle at time of recording. 
And uh, you look at the books, they're third favourites at 6.4. Arizona has been quite the place to be um, over the last couple of weeks for a whole variety of reasons. Obviously, we've had the Super Bowl just the day after um, as we uh, record this podcast. And um, also the, the golf was there as well, the Phoenix Open. Um, but then also the the, the purchase um, of it by this former Michigan State uh, guard and mortgage executive as well, uh, Matt Ishbier, uh, $4 billion. I mean, what does that kind of mean? And without wanting to go too deep into the finances and, and, and whatnot. But I mean, is this going to be important? Are we going to see anything that will affect this season, Seth, or, or is it important going forward? I mean, we, we, we already have uh, the, the Durant trade doesn't happen if Robert Sarver is still owning the team. Is that right? Okay. It, it, yeah. I mean, it's, and, and not just like, if, like take him, take all the, the investigation and the suspension, and everything about it. like he was not signing off on the luxury tax bill. They just bought on. So, uh, it does it does affect insofar as there's another team that is already very talented that is willing to spend money. Now, are they willing to spend money like the Clippers are? No, we'll see. Are they are, are you know, are, are, are they, they probably aren't able to to run their payroll up as high as the Warriors have. And I don't know if they're the willingness to go that high either. But in terms of a team that is going to do what it takes to try to win a title. Um, in the next couple of years, I think there is a certain signaling of intent there that he is, he is, you know, to, I always like to use the nuclear uh, from Bull Durham. He's announced his presence with authority um, by, I, by the reporting is to believe kind of damn the torpedoes. I don't care what we're giving up, get it done um, with this, with this Durant trade, like literally hours after he assumed control of the team. Amazing. And is that, Will that will the guys in the locker room and on the training court be aware of that? Will they feel that need and requirement and want for impetus off the new owner? You know, I, I'm just trying to get a real life feel for it rather than just you know because obviously we can talk about it and the backroom stuff and the front office stuff. But do those guys who are on the training court do they notice that? I think so. And I think we're talking about the re- the replacement of an owner who had become very unpopular um, for the the charges and the uh, not legal charges, but the just the, sort of the the accusations levied against him and, and sort of the, the fa- facts finding that, that resulted in that that led to the sale. Um, so I think right away you have a cloud that, that's lifted. But this was already a team that was just in the finals and could have won it. <laughs> Um, two seasons ago. And so, and then to add a player, the caliber of Kevin Durant, who's still under contract for three more seasons after this one, plus uh, to, 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 to a Devin Booker, who's, who's under contract for a long time. Um, I, I do think that, 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 that resets sort of the, t- the attitude and the tone in the building. And like, I, unless Durant's leg falls off, which I suppose is a possibility, um, like th- they're going to be very good for a very long time. Okay. I would, I would, uh, so the part of why this is sort of a risky trade is this is, I think that Chris Paul is, 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 I think fairly clearly coming to the end of his, of his time. Uh, I don't want to say as an NBA player, but certainly as a, as a star level player, um, he's not been his, his best season. He's been a little bit better of, of, of recent, um, but I think that as he sort of starts to decline, decline even further and, 
frankly, as Durant moves into his late, late thirties, that means that the window that this team has, I would say it's somewhere between this and the next two playoffs. Like it's a, it's a two to three year really window. Uh, and, and before it starts to get a little hairy. Um, right. Now they've massively increased their chances of winning a title over that window, but there's no middle ground. Either they win a title with this group or they don't. And then kind of the, with the draft capital, with the young players they sent out, the back end is, 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 is maybe a little ugly. Now banners fly forever. And so you don't care. If, oh man, look at the, look at the 2029 draft pick, the, the Nets got. So yeah. Oh, well, well, that'll, uh, I guess he'll, he'll come in the first time he plays here. He'll see the 2024 NBA championship banner sit there and yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll deal with that. So <laughs> it's, it is, um, I certainly, I, I support teams taking like big bold moves like this. So I, I like, I, it is you, you, but you do have to remark on that, that there is, um, it, it is not a pure win. There is the, the, the piper has to be paid on the back end. Okay. Joe, go on, hit us. Joe, you're on mute, pal. Oh, I, until you're, <laughs> until that last caveat, I was going to say, you sounded like somebody whose job it was to sit in a front office and really worry about these draft picks. I, yeah, no, it's, uh, I mean, from, from that, you know, you have to, you know, this being, or this being a, a pinnacle podcast, you have to think of these deals as bets. Yeah. And so you're thinking of, you're thinking of both kind of the, you know, to win a championship, you're having to hit kind of the, the best case scenarios, but you also have to, to think about the worst case scenarios. And I think that's a, that's from my mind, a good segue into Dallas where Phoenix was already kind of had already kind of bought the sort of fallow period after Chris Paul anyway. So doubling down on that isn't quite the same thing. I think the risks for Dallas because of Luka Doncic is at a very different point in his career. And, um, Kyrie has had certain effects on teammates in the past, shall we say? I think that the you know the the, the tail risk that uh, that that Phoenix is taking on they sort of already had, whereas Dallas has kind of added. Maybe Luca wants to get up on out of here because because we brought this guy in, um, which is you know frankly a disaster. Um, and yes, did you increase your chances of winning a title over the next couple of years? Yeah, a little bit, but you've also bought a whole lot more risk at the end. And mm-hmm. I don't, I looking at their roster, as you said, they're thin, they can't defend. Is, is that risk worth the downside? And I kind of, I, I have a hard time saying yes. Hmm. Um, but then at the same time, what were their other moves available given sort of some of the team building moves, the team building mistakes they've made, you know, over the course of Lucas career to this point. I think they really wanted to, I think they were desperate to find somebody else that could have the ball. Um, so Luca could, could not play with that kind of constant wear um, and also see what it looks like to play Luca off the ball. Um, and then now, as you and I both know, well, uh, Kyrie can play very well without the ball. So those two are going to be like, that. that's going to be something. And, and I think that Mark Cuban also is a bit of a star chaser and was desperate to to bring in that second guy who is a headliner, um, kind of chasing the flashy object. But, you know, I mean, because they traded for him, they have his bird rights, they can pay Kyrie what he wants. So in the event that Luca doesn't mind this, um, 
Kyrie will be there for a while. And then I guess in the event that that Luca does mind this and, and wants to leave, they could pay Kyrie what he wants and I guess have at least a star there for, for three or four years. Um, all of that, of course, is wishful thinking. These guys now push their way out all the time. Um, and, and Kyrie didn't play in half the games over the last couple of years. So, yeah, it, it is a big bet. But I just I, th- I think that the Mavericks felt like they were never going to get like they had no shot in the Western Conference Finals last year, and they couldn't do anything on their own um, via free agency to get take that next step. So they they said, why not? This is all good stuff. We're going to just revisit. I'm going to, um, in fact, I'll plant this now and we'll talk a little bit about the All-Star Game and then we'll come back and ask you for your answers on this. So um, I want you to give me two teams for people to look out for. And what, what I mean, look out for, we've talked about potential title contenders, etc., and what, what we've seen before. Um, back in November, obviously things have changed since then. I think we've done a pretty good job of sort of just earmarking once more some of the proper title contenders. But I want two teams just to look out for, whether it's teams that you, 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 you're you seeing good trending for all, in terms of maybe reaching the playoffs uh, unexpectedly, or it could be a title contender, or it could be making the play-ins. And actually, you think if they, a team does make the play-ins, they're going to be unstoppable, etc. So just two teams to look out for that can be as open-ended as you want. Um, Last year, we had a really good, solid chat prior to the All-Star game. And it was great to get both of your insights as to um, how you think the the vote's going to go and how it works and what it means as a spectacle, etc. This year is the 30th anniversary of the uh, 1993 NBA All-Star game played in Salt Lake City. And it's... um. It's not losing its importance this time of year, and particularly for you guys, because you get a bit of a holiday usually. Shoot, not me. I got to cover that. (laughs) (laughs) My holiday comes after. Okay, okay. I mean, you get, I'm right in thinking, who gets a vote out of you two? Is it you, Joe? Do you get a vote? Yeah? Okay. Yeah, I mean, I voted... I think I got... No, I I voted for Halliburton to to get in uh, as a starter, and so I missed that one. And, um, I probably did not vote for Zion. I don't think I would have done that. Um, just because he didn't play enough for me. So, uh, yeah. Oh, oh. And then I, and I didn't vote for Durant. Uh, I voted for Joel, uh, as a starter. Um, so yeah. So otherwise, and then I, I didn't have any problem with the, with the reserves. I thought the coaches did a a fair, fine job with that. Okay. Seth, what do you think of the all-star game? I, I think I got a pretty good idea. Um, last year, but just for those who didn't hear last year's uh, podcast on this, I mean the the All Star game is is fine if it's if it is competitive in the fourth quarter, it's incredible. Um, I think that that uh, this is a, this I believe the third year we're using the yellow ending, um, and you know last year the game was a little bit of a blowout, so it kind of didn't matter. The first year was um, we see this over and over again, like we've seen this in the play in. Um, if you in a kind of a single game, if you give NBA players stakes that they think are important, the basketball will be amazing. Um, and so we can hope, you know, come down the end, 10 best players in the world going at it in a in a semi pickup setting. Like, this is, like that would like every hoops nerds dream would be to be like in the gym, like at a summer run where, where like there's a little bit of, a, you know, a little bit of a, of, of a back and forth and it's suddenly, oh, it's time to play now. Yeah. And I think we there's that there's that sort of potential of the the fourth quarter of the All Star game in front of everybody, so we can hope for that. But most years that's not what comes to pass. 
Of course not, but it's the fan engagement element is fantastic. Yeah. I know that this side of the Atlantic, where I am here in in the UK, it's it's the 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 engagement for the All Star Game is just incredible. And actually, then it kind of then maintains actually all the way through until the end of the season, which I think is perfect timing for that kind of non captive basketball audience. But that's a whole different podcast again. Lots of podcast ideas here um, on this episode <laughs> here. Um, so I've given you a little bit of thinking time. That was just purely filler um, for you guys just to have a little time to give me your two teams. Um, we've got so hit me and uh, hit the listeners more importantly, starting with you, Joe. Yeah, the two teams that I would watch out for are still Denver. You know, I mean, Seth hit that in our first podcast of the season. He was right then. I think he still has a chance to be right now. Um, you know, they have Nikola Jokic is, is still there, and Jamal Murray is rounding into form. Michael Porter Jr. is there, and Aaron Gordon is probably the one guy that, that should be in the All-Star game who isn't. So I think that's a team to watch for, and then I think, Staying in the West, you you have to pay attention to the Golden State Warriors. I know they've had bad luck. Um, they've been slow. They've been disinterested at times. But if they make the top six, or even if they don't, even if even if they end up as a seven or eight seed having to come out of the play-in, that group healthy literally just won a title last year and 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 has enough left to get hot. And so I think you have to you have to pause and look at the Warriors and, and ask yourself um, if you trust another team to beat them four times in a series. A long way out at 17 as well on Pinnacle.com. They are. I think that's pretty good from what you said. And also obviously with their title credentials, if they are all fit set, your two teams. So uh, Joe stole one of mine, but I, I said uh, before the season, I picked Bucks over Nuggets in the finals. And at this point, I see no reason to change that. Um, I, uh, Tim Bontemps of ESPN did his, uh, is, is collecting his, his second round of the, uh, of his, MV, of his sort of MVP straw poll. And I don't have a vote for real, but I do vote in that one. Uh, and I had Jokic and Giannis one too. So I think they have the, the two best players. And uh, the Bucks have not lost since Chris Middleton got back in the lineup. Um, I'm, I don't think Jay Crowder, who they added to the trade deadline, necessarily solves anything. But if Middleton plays at an all-star level, they didn't need a lot of solving. Um, since Joe stole the Nuggets from me, I'll also I, I'll, I'll add in the uh, Cleveland Cavaliers, who have low-key been uh, perhaps the best defensive team in the league all season. Um, they've had a giant hole at the small forward position. Sneakily, Isaac Okoro has been playing very well recently. Um, just, just getting anything from a scoring standpoint from that position has been good for them. And then I'm generally not big on buyout pickups, but if they add Danny Green and he has anything left at all, that is a nice fill-in in that spot. And they're a team that has, you know, a great defense plus a, a end-of-game shot maker in Donovan Mitchell. That's a very dangerous team, despite their lack of playoff experience up and down the roster. Really good stuff. 22 they are on Pinnacle.com. All odds correct at the time of recording. Seth, Joe, thank you so much. We had a really good chat there um, about 
a variety of different topics, but the hot topics. Um, and we'll get those podcast ideas out to you uh, <laughs> after the recording of this one as well. Uh, we'll be back monthly for the remainder of the regular season, by the way. So do stay tuned. More as we get into the postseason playoffs. Keep an eye out on Pinnacle's NBA predictions articles on the betting resources page. Um, plus plenty of NBA, Euro League, and also the NCAA content, which we didn't get onto today. Uh, more time on that next time around. You can follow at Pinnacle on Twitter and at Pinnacle Sports on YouTube. Um, from Joe, Seth, and myself, thanks for listening, and we'll speak to you next time on the NBA Breakdown. <laughs>